Welcome to Cross Communities Podcast. We're glad you're here to listen today. We would love to connect with you today for listening to our podcast. Please fill out a connect card on our website at c3naz.net. You can also support the ministries of Cross Community by giving online on our website. We hope that today's message will strengthen your faith and help you to love God and people more. Continue our series, Prove It, where we are walking through a lot of the letter or the sermon of 1 John. And so I'm going to invite you right now to turn to 1 John, uh, 1 John chapter 1. Do we have slides there, Ian? Uh, 1 John chapter 1, and we're going to begin at verse 7 and go through uh, chapter 2, verse 2. Now, if you've been here the last few weeks, you know we've already read chapter 1, verse 7, and 8, and 9, and 10. And uh, we're going to read through that again today, but it will be okay. Just hang in there. That I just need those verses in there to remind us of some things. So however you get your Bible, turn there, whether in book form or electronic form, and let's hear the word of the Lord this morning. But if we walk in the light... As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is the Word of God for the people of God, and our response is, thanks be to God. Well, we've already been talking about some sports this week. This is just a beautiful season, not just for the leaves on the trees that are absolutely gorgeous, But sports, like all of them are played right now. Like I think hockey has started up, basketball has started up, baseball, we're in the playoffs, still going on. Football has started, both college and pros. NASCAR is happening. I don't don't know, is golf going on too? I mean, it's just like everything is happening right now. And so I guess I just had a lot of sports on the brain and was thinking about this passage. What can I do to help us understand what John is doing for these churches that he has written this sermon for? And it came down to sports. How many of you have ever tried to explain a sport while the sport is being played to someone who is sitting next to you? There you go. Ian, that was perfect. I lived in Northern Ireland for just, he, if you didn't hear that, he said cricket. Uh, the sport, not the insect. I lived in Northern Ireland for a while. I, I was on the receiving end of that because rugby, you know, the, the, uh, the big tournament was going on and, and I didn't understand rugby. 
But once somebody explained it to me, explained the, the plan, the, the plays, the the positions that, that are there, and, and, the, and some of the penalties, then I really enjoyed rugby. It was a lot of fun to watch. I still enjoy if I can find a rugby match. It's just fun, something different. But you've done that. Maybe it was for your kid. I've done that a little bit with Jackson. Or maybe it's for your spouse. Lori has been so gracious to learn about football. She even got her very first Steelers jersey. Oh, a couple weeks ago. T.J. Watt, she wanted, she wanted the sack master. That's right. But uh, explaining that sport to someone, you have to explain the plan of the game. You have to ex- expand and, and understand and explain the plays of the game, how the game is played. You, you have to give some basic understanding of the positions if it's a team sport. And, and you have to give some idea of some of the penalties in order for there to be an understanding, an explanation of, so that someone can experience and enjoy the joy of the game. You've done this, right? Or maybe you've been on the receiving end of this. I really believe that this helps us understand what Pastor John is trying to do here for these little churches. He's trying to explain the life of salvation, the way that God is rescuing people and restoring them to full humanity. Remember, we've been saying that that full humanity, God created human beings with the intention that they would live fully in His presence and they would learn from Him and Learn wisdom, the things that to do that lead to life, and the things to avoid that lead to death. This is the call. And John wants them to understand the, how it is that God is rescuing people and restoring them into this full humanity, this full image of God. And so when he's doing that, uh, this is the process, the fancy word for it is the, the process of sanctification. This is what we talked, you might, if you've been around the Church of the Nazarene, you've probably heard this term a bunch. If you're new, it's okay. It's that, that way that God uh, takes us and heals us and restores us and moves us back to being fully human. Fully the image of God, living in His presence and receiving from Him on a daily, day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute uh, experience. That's what we call sanctification and just like uh like we do when we're talking about sports and trying to explain it we have to and john is doing this explanation of the plan of salvation in sports the plan is pretty simple the overall plan is pretty simple put more points on the board than the team you're playing that's pretty simple right Uh, unless it's golf then it's opposite put less points on the board (laughs) Than all the other people you're playing. But for the most part, that is the goal. That is the plan of, of, sanctifi- of, of sports. The plan of sanctification is a little bit different. Have I thoroughly confused you? The plan of sanctification comes down to something pretty simple as well. And it really is summed up at the very first part of chapter 2, verse 1. Are you ready for this? You may want to take out some paper or you're, get ready to uh, snap a picture of the slide. I know some of you do that. But here it is. In a nutshell, this is the plan of sanctification. Are you ready to hear it? Here it is. 
John writes, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. It's a pretty tall order, isn't it? I write this to you. I want you to understand that the plan, the design of sanctification is that you, me, us, together, will not miss the mark in our attitudes, in our actions, and in the atmosphere we create with other people and between us and God. John has been writing all of that first stuff, all the sermons we've gotten gone through up until this moment. This is the plan of sanctification, that you will not sin. Now that feels like a tall order, and so I'm going to do a little bit of, of explaining for you. But I want you to hear this very clearly. The plan of sanctification is to set you free. Yes, you, even you, right where you are, is to set you free from sinning. In your attitudes, in your actions, and in the atmosphere you put on out there into the world. Now, I want to, I want to be very clear. This is right in the language of how John says, will not sin. He wanted to be very specific about this. And it is the Greek word, even though we have it as a phrase, it's just one word for John. And it is the word hamartete. We're going to say that together, right? Ready? One, two, three. Hamartete. Let's say it again. One, two, three. Hamartete. And one more time, just so it sticks in your brain. Ready? One, two, three. Hamartete. Now, it is translated, will not sin. <laughs> Pretty simple. What I want to draw your attention to is really the grammar of what is, is, is summed up in hamartete. It is in two tenses that we do not have in English. And that is the aorist tense and the subjunctive tense. And we have to look at, aren't you so glad you get to learn all this Greek stuff? What's very specific about having the aorist subjunctive tense is where it is located. It is in a purpose clause. And when it is in or follows a purpose clause... This is what it means. I thought this summed it up pretty good from ntgreek.com. If the subjunctive mood is used in a purpose or result clause, then the action should not be thought of as a possible result, but should be viewed as a definite outcome that will happen as a result of another stated action. John was very purposeful. And this purpose clause is, I write these things to you so that, that's a purpose clause right there, so that, hamartete, you will not sin. This is the definite outcome that will happen as a result of all that I've written to you before, writing about all that Jesus has done, all that Jesus is doing, all that Jesus can do. As you begin to operate into that dynamic life, this is something that will happen to you, in you, for you. Am I being clear enough? All right. He wrote this on purpose. 
I want you to hear this in a, in a good, good way. Dr. Rick Williamson writes, Christ can so capture our affections that we may be freed from habitual sin. Grace not only reaches, but also pardons, and more importantly, it heals us. That's what we're talking about when we talk about sanctification. When John is trying to show these churches the plan of sanctification, it is that they, that you, that we today may not sin, will not sin. That's good news. But you may be thinking, but what about all those previous verses that we read about not saying that we don't have sin? I mean, if if this is the case, doesn't it kind of undo all those verses? Well, that gets us into the playing of sanctification, if you'll kind of go with me here. Just like you describe the play in sports. I mean, you may you may say, oh, well, you know, the play today is going to be that they're going to try and soften them up with the run and then throw some passes. That will open up the passing game. The playing, as you're describing that when someone is watching sports, we have to see what's happening here, what John wants us to understand about the play of sanctification, how this takes place in your everyday life, in our everyday life. And the good news is it's dynamic. This is not a static thing. This is something that has to be described. And so John goes back and forth. And if you're like me and you've been reading these passages, you're probably thinking, this is so strange. He says one thing, like I've been redeemed of all sin. And then he says, but if I say that I don't have sin, and then he goes over and says that I've been cleansed from all unrighteousness, but then says if I don't, it goes back and forth. Let's look at this really quick. Just quick. Look at your own Bibles right there. He says in verse 7, the the latter part, he says, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from how much sin? All sin. But then the very next verse, he says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. Then the very next verse, he says, but if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our, our sins and purify us from how much unrighteousness all unrighteousness but then he goes right and says if we claim we have not sinned we make him out to be a liar and his words not in us do you see how it's dynamic john is trying to explain something that is happening in the moment that god is with us in the moment in the dynamics of our life in the back and forth god is working something out he has a purpose and that purpose is for you and me to be free from sinning from missing the mark from damaging relationships with him and others to have our attitudes restored to one of gratitude to have our actions show the love of god out into our world And this is going to take some time. Aren't you glad to know that Jesus not only understands the plan of sanctification, but he also knows how it plays out in your real life? That should be good news. That we can trust the coach who is calling the plays and calling us into this dynamic life. The plan is that you will not sin. But in the playing, he puts in there at the end of, Verse uh, of chapter 2, verse 1. But if anyone does sin, he understands your humanness. He understands what's going, and he is not giving up on us. He is working this for our good. And that if anybody does sin, are you ready for your next Greek word? It sounds very similar. It is the word hamarte, not hamartete, it's hamarte. Can we say that together? Ready? One, two, three. 
Hamarte. We'll only say this one more time. Ready? One, two, three. Hamarte. Again, it's aorist subjunctive, just like the last one, but it does not follow a purpose, purposive clause. It's just regular. So what does that mean in this? If, if he was very certain and it followed that purpose, you will not sin. What does it mean when he says, but if anybody does sin and there's not a purposeful clause that it's attached to, what it just means is that it indicates a possibility. But it does not show an inevitability. It's possible that you will sin. It is possible that that may happen. But it's not inevitable. And that's a real distinction that we make in our tradition. There are traditions within the Christian faith who say, no, you to err is human and to err is to, is to sin. And so if I'm human, I'm going to sin every day in my words, in my thoughts, and probably sometimes in my deeds. And John wants to say to those churches that might do that, no, the goal is that you will not sin. Is there a possibility because you're a human being? Absolutely. But it is not inevitable You are released through what Jesus has done on the cross and his resurrection from the power of sin over your life. Can I make it any more clear? And that's a freedom. That's a good thing. And it's what we believe and what we call people to to participate in here at Cross Community Church. It's a possibility, but it's not an inevitability. Back to a sports metaphor. Aaron Judge How many of you enjoyed following Aaron Judge and his uh, going for 62? (laughs) A few of you. For me, he's the home run king. Uh, The other three that are in front of him, I was all during the steroid area. They were juicing. I hope I don't get sued. Uh, He's the home run king, 62. So when Aaron Judge walks up to the plate, is it possible for him to strike out? Yeah, sure. Is it inevitable? No. I'm not even counting the triples, the doubles, the singles, the, the, the ways that they just walked him to get, get it because they didn't want to deal with him. That's what Paul is saying when he talks about sin. Is it possible? Yes. Is it inevitable? No. And what he wants to draw our attention to is something so much greater. I love what Dr. Rick Williamson again says. This text... The sermon that John is writing affirms that the standard of living is to live above sin. But John realistically acknowledges that some Christians occasionally falter in their walk. And to them, he affirms the continuing offer of reconciliation to God. So if, if that happens, if you are to fit, even though it's not inevitable, if, if that possibility happens, the good news for you, for you online, is that... There is still reconciliation to God. It's a call. God is is so committed to the plan of sanctification in your life. Let's look at this. Because we have to move on. This, This begins to get us into describing the positions of sanctification. 
Just like you might explain to somebody who's, who's trying to understand a sport, well, that position is responsible for these ideas. A quarterback is responsible for receiving the ball and handing it off or, or pa- passing the ball down to the receiver or sometimes calling the plays or calling an audible. A running back is responsible for this. A coach is responsible for this. When it comes to the positions of sanctification, we look at who is responsible for what. And John wants us to understand that. He's been developing this all through these sermons that we've been going through. We're looking at who is responsible for what. Again, this is dynamic. This is so dynamic. We see that God is light. That's his position. We, our responsibility is to walk in the light. Jesus purifies us from how much sin? All sin. Our responsibility is to acknowledge that we have it. We honestly confess our sins. That's verse 9. What happens? Jesus, what? Is faithful to forgive us and cleanse how much sin? All sin and all unrighteousness. We stop sinning, chapter 2, verse 1. But if we do, Jesus, John declares Jesus' position. We have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, the one who will do the right thing. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. I want to look at those two positions that Jesus is responsible for in the plan and the play of sanctification. He's the advocate, and he's the atoning sacrifice. What this means is then that he is the advocate And whenever John uses this, he uses the Greek word parakleton. He uses this in his gospel, and he continues it in this sermon. Can we say that together? Ready? One, two, three. Parakleton. And parakleton, every time he uses it, a lot of the times it is translated counselor or comforter. When Jesus was talking to his disciples and telling them he was going to go to the Father, and they were worried, what are we going to do? He said, I will send you a parakleton. One to comfort and one to counsel you. Aren't you glad to know that if the possibility of you missing the mark in your attitude, your action, or your atmosphere, if that takes place, aren't you glad to know you have a counselor and a comforter? Not someone shaming you. Not someone heaping more on you. Not someone saying, oh, I knew you were going to do that. John says, Jesus' position, what he's responsible for in this plan of sanctification is to be a counselor and a comfort for you when that takes place, if that takes place. That's good news, isn't it? Then also, he is our atoning sacrifice. Now, this is a tough one. We're going to say the Greek word. We'll just say it once because we need to move on. Ready? One, two, three. Hilasmas. I didn't say it to you ahead of time, so let's try it together. Ready? One more time. One, two, three. Hilasmas. Now, Hilasmas is a very interesting thing. This idea of atoning sacrifice is tough for us in the 21st century. But I want you to hear this uh, because there are some things that we need to correct, 
some things I really want you to hear. And if you've been in the church a long time, I want you to hear this. Some of your translations will have these big words, and they use two different words. And there's usually a theological agenda behind these two words. The first one is the word propitiation. Some of your translations, as you read this, will say, and he is our propitiation for our sin. And the word propitiation in, in the language of the Greeks around us is about appeasing an angry God. And somehow that bled over into Christianity, into the translating of Scripture, that they took hilasmas and made it propitiation. And it began to have this understanding of this God who is angry and we've got to do something or Jesus has to do something in order to get this God appeased to calm down, to let go of his anger enough to love us. But that is not the view of God that we see throughout Scripture. From the very first time that human beings decided I'm going to do it my own way and walk away from the presence of God and try to get right and wrong uh, right for ourselves, which we don't do, God has been from that moment about seeking that restoration, about moving us back, about sanctifying us. From the very beginning, that has been God's heart. It was God's plan to do whatever it took to heal us, to reconcile us, to restore us. Angry gods don't do that. They throw lightning bolts from heaven. So maybe we need to look a little bit different than propitiation or helasmas. The other big word that's there is expiation. And that is the idea that the sacrifice removes our sin. And we believe that this is part of what happens. But look at this. Atoning sacrifice really focuses on the end product. It sums it up. Basically, it's saying that Jesus is everything that was needed to restore our relationship to God, to restore our relationship to one another, and to set us free from the power of sin so that we could live attitude that show that love, that our actions would show that love, and that we would have restored relationship atmosphere between each other and between him and us. So I prefer atoning sacrifice because it sums it up. Jesus' sacrificial death does purify us. We see that in chapter 1, verse 7. It forgives us. We see that in chapter 1, verse 9. And it cleanses us again in verse, chapter 1, verse 9 from all sin and all unrighteousness. He removes anything that would keep us from Him. He's absolutely committed to you. Do you need to hear that today? He's absolutely committed to you. And this is the meaning of atonement. I'll never forget when a professor showed me this a long time ago to help me remember what the purpose of atonement is. You just put a little hyphen there. See, God wants to be at one with you. And Jesus has done all that is required for you and God to be at one, to be at peace, to be reconciled. And that is his position. When it comes to sanctification. And again, we see in our, in our passage that, that it is not just for us. It expands. It's an expanding experience. It's not just for your sin or my sin. It is for the sin of the whole world. God doesn't do anything piecemeal. He does it all. And that's good news for us today. Good news. 
Now, we've got to pause here because whenever I talk about this dynamic of back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, you inevitably get the question, so does that mean I can just keep on sinning? You know, I mean, if it's all just about, well, you know, I know I'm called to, but I can, and we kind of slip into that inevitably, and I will, does this mean I can just kind of do this? Is this just the big phrase we used back in the 80s and 90s? Is this just cheap grace? And when I hear that, for me, what it automatically signals, whether that's in my own life or when I hear somebody ask it, is that that is a question that does not take the penalty of sin seriously. It really doesn't. Sin is that thing that damages our relationships to one another. Sin is that thing that always grabs for myself. It is selfishness. It is me first. It is, it is that thing that breaks down relationship between others and between us and God. It is so serious, friends. This is not just a theological concept. This is something that happens in our real lives. And I want you to hear the dichotomy between sin and sanctification. You see, sin chains you up, but sanctification changes you from the inside out. Sin is enslaving. Sanctification is emancipating. Sin is addictive, but sanctification is atoning. Sin leads to hell in all its forms, but sanctification leads to health and to wholeness. Sin destroys absolutely, but sanctification declares Jesus victory absolutely. Sin may be pervasive all around us, but sanctification proves God's love has the final say in your life, not sin. This is good news. (laughs) And this is something that I hope you will get in the game for. Because that plan isn't just something high, pie-in-the-sky thinking. It's a plan for you. For you, person online. It's for you. God wants you free. Absolutely. And today could be the day that you experience that freedom. It's one thing to explain a sport. It's another thing to experience it. Not long ago, Jackson and I traveled over to Pittsburgh. I'm a diehard Pirates fan. They lose all the time. They, they were worse than the, than the Tigers this year. 103 losses, I think. But I wanted them to have the experience. And so we went, and we had this great, great trip there, and we had somebody for, who gave us 20 rows behind home plate for 20 bucks. Amazing. And we saw it there, and, and Jackson had a few questions about what was going on, but in the end, it was a, an in-state rivalry with the Phillies, and it came down to the, the end of the game, the bottom of the ninth, and there was a guy on third, and the ball got behind, and they pitched it, and he slid under the tag, and the place goes nuts, and the fireworks erupt. And I saw my kid who was just learning about sports. Wow! Because he experienced it. It was no longer something that I was just explaining. It was something that he was experiencing. And my friends today, I want you to know I've done my best to explain this great hope that we in the Church of the Nazarene hold to and preach and declare 
But I don't want you to just have an explanation and walk out of here. I want you to have the opportunity to experience that freedom. What would it be like to walk out of here knowing that Jesus is helping you with that addiction, that thing that you've struggled with day in and day out? What would it be like, husband, for your wife to see you set free from an attitude that just kind of puts up the wall? Wife, what would it look like for your husband to see something that changed so much in you that you began to see healing in that broken relationship? Kids, what would it be like for your parents to see a new attitude that looks towards how to help and how to live in harmony together. What would it look like to see relationships restored? What would it feel like to walk out those doors and know that there is a God who loves you and a Savior who is with you and follows you and empowers you so that you will not sin? And you can walk out there assured that although it's not inevitable, If it happens, He is still concerned with me, will reconcile me, will call me back into the confessing and receiving, cleansing from all unrighteousness. I hope you've heard the dynamic today. And now I want to invite you into the possibility of experiencing this for yourself. So would you stand? Deb's going to come and, and play. bow your heads and close your eyes. Lord Jesus, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be sent to comfort my brothers and sisters here and wherever they're watching from in the world. May they sense your call to get on the field, experience joy of being set free. May that presence of your paracletos, you being the comforter and the counselor, give them boldness and courage to say yes to your atoning sacrifice to your cleansing from all unrighteousness, to your purifying of all their sin. And may they experience your healing, your wholeness, your forgiveness, your freedom today and every day. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I know we've done this a lot more recently than we have in the past, but I just wonder if there's anyone today who wants to get in the game. Wants wants to say, I I want that plan for my life. I, I want it for my marriage. I want it for when I go to work. I want it from when I go to school. I want to be set free. I want to experience that power. I'm going to invite you right now. We're not going to do any singing, but I'm going to invite you to come. We have altars that are here, and it's just a good place to surrender to God and say, I want your plan, not mine. So if that's you, would you just come right now? Everybody's heads should be bowed and eyes closed, and so no 
Nobody's going to see you, but it does take some courage. If you want to get in the game, if you want to experience this, would you come right now? Just come. Don't wait for someone else. Just come. Just come. bowed, your eyes closed. You want to say, I I just couldn't bring myself to come forward. I understand. That's kind of Western Michigan culture in some ways. But Pastor Jeff, God's really talking to me about this plan, and and I really want to experience that. I I do want to get in the game. Would you just raise your hand right where you are? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Would you raise your hand? Jesus, for those who raise their hand, I pray that they would experience the power of your atoning sacrifice. That they would leave here knowing that you are with them, enabling them, keeping them, helping them, cleansing them, forgiving them. I pray that this week they would experience a difference in their life that is noticeable to other people. That's how we prove it. We prove it by leading living a transformed life in our everyday life. So I pray they would experience that in this moment. As we go, go with us. Remind us of this message from John throughout our week. We pray and ask this in the name of the Father who is for us, in the name of the Son who is with us, and in the name of the Spirit who is in us, one God forever and ever. Amen. Would you receive this blessing? And now, may you, my brothers and sisters, my friends, people online, may you experience that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, is the atoning sacrifice for your sin, and not for yours only, but for the whole world. May you experience his plan of sanctification in your life. May you recognize the position that he is in and that you are in. And get in the game and play. For he is with you. I pray these things and bless you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. One God forever and ever. Go in peace. Go in his name. Have a great week. Thanks for joining us online. May God bless you as you go. We'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in to Cross Communities Podcast. We hope you will join us next week.